Welcome to This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. Our guests are the heroes that are working to save our world from climate change, pollution, and the destruction of our natural world. We hear their stories and solutions, and then offer them a chance to take on a challenge to make their own lives more joyful and fulfilling by exploring their values. We focus on awareness of the environment and action. Join us in building a community dedicated to living better sustainably. Bonnie Schneider is a national TV meteorologist who has appeared across the country to do weather, MSNBC to CNN to the Weather Channel. She's recently authored a book called Taking the Heat, how climate change is affecting your mind, body, and spirit, and what you can do about it. In it, she talks about how climate change is affecting you directly, not just through weather and natural disasters. She's here to talk about some things that you can do to help mitigate some of the worst effects. I'm hoping she's willing to take some climate change mitigating action in her own life and take on a sustainability challenge. But let's see. Here she is, Bonnie Schneider. Hello and welcome everyone to This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. Today, I'm here talking to Bonnie Schneider. Bonnie, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been excited to have you on for a while because, I mean, you're a national television meteorologist. You're based in New York City. You've appeared on <laughs> MSNBC, NBC News, Yahoo Finance, The Weather Channel, a whole bunch more. So... I don't know. It was kind of cool for me to have uh, somebody from TV coming on my podcast. That's funny. No, I mean, I say thank you. I really do appreciate that. I've I've had a pretty long career in TV from small towns to big cities. I, I wonder, actually, if, if you don't mind, before we, we go into the book, some people talk about how climate change has become too political and like a lot of the major news companies are kind of downplaying climate change. I wonder, as a meteorologist that's worried about climate change, do you feel like national TV broadcasting companies are doing justice to climate reporting? Well, I have noticed in recent years that there that more resources has been going into climate coverage and a lot more, uh, many more meteorologists are using time to speak about climate change and also use the, the science of climate change in, in explaining things in their weather presentations. So I've, I've actually seen an increase in terms of coverage and, and an interest from the executives in, in having that, that coverage on, in, on the networks. That's great. Yeah, you also created a platform called Weather and Wellness, a platform for original video content focusing on climate change and health. So that was another thing I actually saw and I was kind of curious about. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I've been a TV meteorologist for a long time. And one of the things that that you can't help but notice if you're covering all types of natural disasters is the human impact that it has on people. And my first book was called Extreme Weather, where I interviewed storm survivors of different types of weather phenomenon. And, and the common thread was at least looking back at that first book, that it was based on, there's not just physical injuries, but there, there's mental health that's intertwined with weather. And that got me thinking about the idea for this next book and this weather and wellness platform that I built, which is a website, social media pages and video content really examines the, the interconnections between weather, climate, 
health and wellness in, in ways I think that aren't as obvious. I mean, like, for example, we might know about allergy season and things like that. But I, I, I talk a little bit more about that and, and how the allergy season is now longer than it was before. And then I uh, really take a deep dive into mental health. And, and there's still so much more to explore. So that's why I decided to create a platform devoted to it. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this book. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we hear a lot about sea level rise, increased temperatures, strengthened hurricanes, frequent wildfires that come with climate change. But we don't really hear as much about how it affects us directly. How do those temperature increases affect our bodies and our minds and all that kind of thing? So you've now authored this book called Taking the Heat, How Climate Change is Affecting Your Mind, Body, and Spirit, and What You Can Do About It. So you're trying to kind of bring light to that side of climate change effects, right? Yeah, I think your um, example is is exactly right, that people see something on the news or video of uh, melting ice, and it seems like, well, that's really far away. You know, that doesn't really affect me. But the more research that I did and the more experts and scientists and doctors and, uh, that I interviewed, um, I found that it's already affecting us in many ways, in many ways we don't realize. And that's why I decided to write this book. And it, the idea for the book actually came in 2019. So it was like pre-pandemic. And the more I researched it, I actually felt overwhelmed because I said to myself, how am I going to whittle this down to one book? There was just so much content. So I decided to make a book that had 10 chapters and five focused on mental health and five on physical health. And, and I tell you, there's still so much more to talk about. But I think that this book really addresses the climate crisis in a different way. I want people to read this and feel that there's takeaways, that things that they can do to reduce their risk for um, poor health outcomes and and just um, be more aware of risks that they might not normally think of. Like, for example, um, living in an area where you might think, oh, I, there's no way I would ever get a West Nile virus where I live or Lyme disease. Sure. You might be surprised. And I bring a lot of science and evidence to show uh, the patterns and, and things like that of disease and how how they've changed. And, and so people can get a better idea of maybe evaluating their own risk. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to hear some examples and to kind of go through each of those parts that you outlined, the body, the mind, and the spirit, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, oh, no. Maybe let's start with maybe the body. What kind of mm -hmm. effects? Can you give us some examples that climate has on our bodies and our physical health? Right. Well, um, I just was talking a little bit about um, the disease, and I have a chapter that's devoted on that. And not just, you know, we, we I think most people have heard of Lyme disease by now. Mm -hmm. One of these stories in the book is um, about a young Canadian guy who is very athletic and hiker, you know, very into the living and, and enjoying the wilderness of Canada and on biking. And it took him five years to get diagnosed with Lyme disease. He didn't think, they didn't think at first that's what it was. I talk about the vector-borne diseases, diseases that can travel through vectors like a tick or a mosquito. But I also talk about waterborne bacteria. And because of warming waters, uh, more people are being exposed to the threat of um, coming in contact with a waterborne uh, bacterium like a, a vibrios or something that uh, could be very, very harmful. And I also told the story of a family um, impacted by that. Uh, and I spoke to experts who's, who've been tracking these diseases. This is all they've done their career. Mm -hmm. And 
their findings are, are fascinating. So there's that aspect of it. Of course, because I wrote this book during the pandemic, I did want to focus on COVID-19 as well. Sure. And I interviewed one of the top infectious disease doctors, Dr. Morins, and he's a historian as well. So we, so the book does talk about pandemics and the relationship between the loss of biodiversity, which is, which is a big problem with the climate crisis and how that might affect the potential for being for exposure to infectious disease. And in terms of other physical health things that I talk about, there's a chapter about heat, but not just heat, but heat in cities. Who is more at risk than others? Why there might be people that are more vulnerable to heat-related illness. Some of it is going to surprise people, I think, yeah. because I think a lot of people don't realize how deadly heat exposure can be if you don't have air conditioning especially for people that are older, maybe they live alone. And uh, th there's a serious risk there uh, that I wanted to identify. I also wanted to identify the risk for children. They handle heat differently than adults. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that in my chapter on fitness and sustainable fitness. Mm -hmm. I, I can go on. So you just tell me I, that's, those are just some of the physical points. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm really curious to hear about a lot of this because I feel like this is stuff that we don't really see on a regular basis. Like I said, we, we see a lot about the hurricanes and the melting ice and those kinds of things, but I don't think we do end up hearing things like, I don't know, because of increased temperatures, we probably have animals, insects kind of changing locations. Exactly. And with, you know, certain types of developments, the, the predator animals are displaced. So the, the rats and, and mice that uh, might carry disease, that they, they're more abundant. Mm -hmm. And so it's like one thing affects the other. That That's really what I learned throughout researching this book, that everything, one thing affects the other. And if you're d disrupting a, a vital ecosystem, there are impacts and, and you may not even experience them right away. One of the things about temperature I talk about and I talk about it, I just mentioned in the disease chapter, mm -hmm. but also there's a lot of implications for, for heat affecting the body in different ways in terms of, uh, I mentioned adults and children, but there's also having more of these frost free days where we have a longer season mm -hmm. of warmer weather for a longer time. And when that first frost of the fall, let's say, is delayed, we can have a longer allergy season. So more people are impacted by allergies for a longer time. Huh. And that's that's interesting as well, because I think that so many of us are affected in some way by seasonal allergies. That That's something that, you know, day to day that you can relate to. And, and then there's allergies that you might have year round that or suddenly come up and they could be attributed to mold, for example. Right. And that can be attributed to more frequent rain or more intense storms. Mm -hmm. But there's ways to, to have a healthier indoor environment and reduce your risk for allergens and coming in contact with them. And I dive deep uh, in the book about that mm -hmm. with really useful tips for children as well, especially children who have asthma, which is a, is a problem. Mm -hmm. So I identified some of their risks and steps that they could take to reduce the risk. Yeah. 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 There were a lot of things in the book that really started to get me thinking just a lot of things that I hadn't thought about before things like your sleep schedule and how your sleep schedule could be affected by climate. Yeah. That, that was an interesting one because sleep, I think all of America, as research shows, is sleep deprived in general. Most people would say they're not getting enough sleep. So here's something interesting is that I think at some point, whether or not you have air conditioning, most people have had the experience of having to sleep in a hot room for whatever sure. reason. You didn't have air conditioning. You might have noticed that you didn't sleep very well when it's in a heat wave and there's no air conditioning. And most of America does have air conditioning, but 
a couple different things. I mean, we have we're finding now that places that normally would say you don't need air conditioning to live here are, are buying air conditioning because um, it's just a lot hotter there for longer. But that's a that's a, a negative environmental impact because of of air, the air conditioning itself using more energy. So sure. there, there's that loop that I discuss in the book as well. But yeah, I think that the impacts of sleep can also affect your mental performance, and that's what I got into. In the book on memory, I interviewed a, a researcher um, at Harvard who did a fascinating study because normally when you talk about memory and these studies are done with older people, mm-hmm. but his study focused on very young, healthy college students that it doesn't matter if you're young and, and fit and healthy. If you're not getting sleep and you're in these hot environments, your cognitive performance is likely to be affected. And, and that's what his research showed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that kind of leads us right into that the mental health section of it, the, the mind and the spirit part of the uh, title in your book. Um, those feelings of, of stress and anxiety, I guess, I imagine we're seeing a lot of that these days. I mean, I, I saw something recently that said something like 75% of youth are, are very worried that our future is going to be pretty terrifying. And we're seeing a lot of um, anxiety related to climate. That's that is so true. And when I first wrote the actual proposal for this book in 2019, that number was lower mm-hmm. than it is now in 2022. So the, the there's an incredible amount of anxiety that young people, Gen Z, as in the book, I talk about that, um, that are dealing with the climate crisis, I think, in a way that older people may not 100 percent relate to. Now, of course, it doesn't matter how old you are, you're concerned about the climate um, crisis, but young people in particular are troubled by this. And then young children are as well. So I wanted to identify, I have a whole chapter on eco-anxiety. Mm-hmm. What is eco-anxiety? It's a fairly new term um, that most people may have read about, but they don't really understand it. I talk about that and, and climate grief. How do I identify it? And this is really important is that the young, I interviewed several young people in their early 20s that were really, really afflicted with eco-anxiety. Mm-hmm. So they talk about how this affected them, what worked and how they dealt with it. And then an even more fascinating story gets into a university where they actually started a course and, and found really constructive ways to deal with eco-anxiety. Mm-hmm which I think is fascinating because this is all this stuff is just happening now in the, in the past few years. So it's really recent and more people are impacted by this uh, I, I, in, in terms of the mind, body, spirit part of it. So this talks about mental health and anxiety, but I, I'd say that the, the spirit part and, and, and taking care of your well-being is also really touched on in this chapter, talking about meditation, mm-hmm. uh, talking about um, connecting with the earth and and doing projects like that, that that can have extreme mental benefits when dealing with eco-anxiety. Right. Yeah. And you had brought something up earlier too, that I kind of wanted to come back to a little bit. And that is that um, we hear a lot about how all the hurricanes and the weather related effects of climate change kind of disproportionately affect minority communities and low income communities. And it sounds like that goes for this as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting when talking about these natural disasters, because there's a lot of uh, you know, every time there's a natural disaster, 
there's articles, well, is this related to climate change? And and the answer is that there's connections that can be found, but not necessarily in the obvious ways you might think of. Like, for example, when we talk about hurricanes, are there more frequent hurricanes? That That's something that's still in question. But one thing that, that scientists have been able to decipher is that with hurricanes that we're seeing more intensity, some of these storms are lasting longer, impacting more people. We're definitely seeing indications of more frequent flooding events. Um, so all of that adds up. So when you have more people impacted by more intense weather events for a longer period of time, there's going to be the physical impact, as we mentioned, that the risk of injury or, or something like that from from a storm. Mm-hmm. But then there's that mental health impact that that lingers long after. And going back to your question about people in um, low income communities, minority communities that I, I look, took a look at the statistics on that. And one of the things that was interesting in terms of the mental health aspect is who's impacted more and and for how long and what what the research shows is that people that have, were were displaced and had to relocate mm-hmm. for example in hurricane maria those people unfortunately suffered the most mental anguish so it's often the, the poorest people the most vulnerable to these these climate hazards that are affecting mental health and children as well right yeah, I have a background in engineering. So when I hear about, you know, minority communities or low-income communities not having the resources to cope with climate, I immediately think like infrastructure, like having mm-hmm. having the things to protect your home from larger hurricanes and things like that. But I hadn't actually thought very much about not having the resources in terms of um, mental health or those kinds of resources. The doctors that I interviewed, and I interviewed, I just want to give a a commendation to the people I interviewed because they're just, everyone was so brilliant. And I, it's just, I I had, that's what I like about this book is that it took me a a year to put all this research together and and you can read it all and and hear these brilliant uh, expertise. And one of, a, a couple of things I just want to mention is that one of the uh, experts I spoke to was talking about resilience mm-hmm. and how that's really important in dealing with these disasters. And that for those people that are in homes that maybe the family, let's say a child that's in a home where there's a stable situation and the family has insurance, they, they had to get a loss, their home is damaged or they it's destroyed even, the family might reassure them and say, we'll be fine, we'll, we'll just rebuild. But in a situation where the child's in a more vulnerable, unstable situation, um, where there's financial concerns, that, that's going to create more anxiety. They're not going to feel as safe. Now, some of the experts say that, that they might already be in a situation like that where they're 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 affected by these disruptions more often, so they may have more resilience. I kind of go into the science about it, but the main thing to note is that um, resilience is a really important um, aspect of dealing with these 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 situations that um, I, I kind of go into a more and how to how to how to how do you build resilience? What if you don't, what if it's something you don't already have? So I, I discussed that in, in the book as well. Right. Yeah. I think you had even mentioned that we're now seeing PTSD symptoms from these extreme weather related events. Right. I, I, for, for my first book, I had interviewed a woman who was a hurricane Katrina survivor and that was in 2005. It's now 2022. And I can tell you, I still hear from her. She was someone who lost her home in the lower ninth ward in hurricane Katrina and 
she still, every time there's a hurt, I put up a, let's say on social media, when we have a hurricane advisory somewhere, she's, she's panicked by just living through that experience. And this is many years later. Yeah. So I interviewed um, someone else from Louisiana and some other different places impacted by major disasters. Also, there's research in there from uh, tornado outbreaks in, in the Midwest. And the research shows that these, the mental stress that's experienced, the anguish lasts much longer mm-hmm. than you might think. And if it lasts longer than six months, I get into more of what's the definition of post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. what, what kind of treatments work. And going back to the mind, body, spirit aspect of it, there, there is science behind meditation and mindfulness as a treatment for people that are stuff, suffering from post-traumatic stress. Yeah. I'd actually like to get into that now because we've kind of talked a lot about the effects of, of what can happen from climate change. But what can we start to do to turn this around? What are what are some actions that we can take as individuals? I know you already mentioned meditation. Well, one of the things that the, the research that I found that, especially when dealing with eco-anxiety, for example, is that the people that felt that they were dealing with it better than they were, because a lot of the young people I spoke to told me they were so overwhelmed with anxiety, they felt hopeless. There was nothing they could do. Mm -hmm. But the more that they found other people that felt the same way they did, that had the same concerns, Mm -hmm. and they got involved with social, with with environmental groups that are doing activism, for example, with with climate, Mm Those young people that I spoke to said that they really that really helped them because they felt that they were part of a community that was doing something positive. And also for young children, some of the advice that I put in the book is is having children, even if they're doing a, a par, being part of a playground cleanup or a gar, you know something small, um, so children also don't feel hopeless that they're physically doing something with with the earth. And that was something when dealing with post-traumatic stress of natural disasters, same similar research where you you reconnecting with the earth is healing. And the, I know some people might think, well, that sounds you know hard to believe, but we, there is actual research that backs it up. And that's what the whole concept of the book is, is that it's mind, body, spirit, but it's science-based. Right. So the actions that we take can actually improve our mental state and our eco-anxiety. That's true. And I know since this podcast focuses on sustainability. I have two chapters that are really hone in on that, on fitness and food, um, which really actually interesting. And I, I hate to say fun to write, but it, it kind of was because it, I, I don't, I'm always fascinated by the foods and, and things that people like to eat. And how, okay, so what's the connection to the environment? So, so I went into some of these foods that are affected by climate change, and they're basically the staples that everybody enjoys, coffee, uh-huh. avocados, things like that, and how they're impacted by the climate, seafood, mm-hmm. things like that. So um, I talk about that. And I also talk, oh, and chocolate was another one. Oh. But but then but then there's also, okay, well, we enjoy all these things, and, and now they're facing um, the potential threats for climate or environmental related and I also offer advice if uh, there and and things that you can do like perhaps purchasing fair trade, looking for things like that. And there's uh, there's more advice too about waste, uh, food waste, and how to deal with that. That was another thing that was an eye opener for me. I didn't realize how much food waste contributed mm-hmm. to um, greenhouse gases and things like that. So, I, and I'm sure you, you've discussed a lot of these things before. But for for the for somebody that's just kind of touching it on the surface and, and you dig deeper. It, it, uh, sneakers. I didn't realize how much they they have a carbon footprint right. that our athletic shoes. So now that that's one that you're asking about changes that I 
I never would just throw out a sneaker ever. Like now I'm, I, I physically bring it to the store and put it in the recycle bin because I, I didn't realize how much of a carbon footprint sneakers have till now. So. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot that we can do that just people just don't think about. We kind of take for granted the way we live our lives and think a lot of times, especially making those changes can be, can feel difficult. You know, it can feel really hard to, to say, ah, oh, I, I, I could do this, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of, kind of sounds like a pain in the butt. It's going to take me more time. But then when you actually end up doing it, it can actually make you feel a lot better and it can actually make your life a little bit more happy. I think that's such a great point. And I, I try to do that now all the time with whenever I'm um, making ideas for things I'm going to buy and how I dispose of them. I am more aware of it. And I agree, it does make you feel like you're doing something, even if it's something small. So um, there's always more to do. Uh, one of the things I mentioned in the book was research from my alma mater, Boston University, that talked about how important it is to take a shorter shower. I'm working on that. <laughs> I've reduced them to some degree. So I said to myself, how can I make this shorter? Well, get everything ready. So you don't have to speed it. Just be ready, get in the shower, get out. So yeah, things, it, I, it's just, it's, it sounds silly, but there, there are little things that we can do that once you achieve them, if you set a goal that it does, it does make you feel better. When I hear you talking, I feel like you've, you've looked a lot into the science and spent a lot of time um, examining the science, but I get the feeling that there's, there's something under that there's something about the environment that that you really care about that makes you want to do this what makes that's, you want to write a book you're absolutely right I, I wouldn't have written this book and pursued this path the most weather people are doing the weather and just predicting the weather but but i, I i've always felt connected to nature uh -huh. and i've lived in big cities i live in new york city right now and i've also lived in small towns and more rural communities uh -huh. so i i see how important the connection of nature is and, and how much, if you don't have it, that you miss it. And um, in, in more recent times, it was uh, dealing with the, the COVID-19 and the pandemic here in New York, being in an environment where it was harder to get outside. I, I had to, I made myself go to Central Park and, and, and I'll tell you, I never appreciated the greenery more than so so yes i think that there's this intrinsic desire that we have to connect with nature i've felt it my whole life and and i've always been appreciative of it when i when i get to see the ocean it, it doesn't seem i i'm sure people thinking oh, i don't live too far from the, the ocean it doesn't matter whenever i see it i'm still grateful to see it and i still connect with it and a walk on the beach there's nothing nicer than that and, and even here in new york i don't i i live near the hudson river i know it's not the beach uh -huh. but anytime i do get to walk especially on this when the sun's setting it's beautiful and and there's nothing that it's restorative to your spirit yeah definitely if i feel like with all the places that you've lived in you must have some really amazing experiences like i actually haven't explored as much of America, as I like, but I feel like you've lived in a lot of different mm, but places. You live in, but Hawaii is probably the most desired place in <laughs> America to be. I've never been there. It's on my list, but boy, it sure looks beautiful. Um, yes, I, I definitely have. And I tell you, it's it's another, I think, thing that, I, that I've, I'm grateful for in my life is that I grew up in a suburb of New York and on Long Island. And had I stayed there, I would have a very different experience in life. I've, I've had the opportunity to really see America mm -hmm. and live in places where people would say, well, I never met anyone from New York. You know, like, believe it or not, I know it, you wouldn't say that now in Florida, <laughs> but, but I lived in, in small towns in Louisiana and Missouri. And I, I really got to see the rest of America and appreciate 
different types of people, uh-huh. different way people connect with uh, the community. And and again, the the beauty of, of the land and seeing living near a river or being in an area during a snowstorm. And, and believe me, I've, I've had to stand out as a meteorologist in many snowstorms. <laughs> there, is still, there is still something magical about being in the middle of a snowstorm and really there's no one around. It's, it's so pretty. It's freezing, yeah. but, but that appreciation for nature is something I've always had as it, since I was a kid. And, and, and because of my profession, I really got to it, it kind of get out there and enjoy it more. Yeah. I like, I like that term that you used. It, it feels magical to be out there in this. I world. think that's, yeah, I, I, I write about, I write about things in, in the book, uh, that you'll see will come from my my perspective. Seasonal depression, for example, is there's a chapter in the book on that. And and you might think, well, what does that have to do with climate change? And there there is a, a connection in terms of daylight saving time and what the reason that we even have that for some states. I think your state doesn't have you don't do that, right? Why? Actually- I don't remember. Yeah, I but I, do, I know some states don't, and and, and there's certainly a lot of controversy, and, and people are their sleep's affected. So anyway, I do write about that, but I, I wanted to dig into a seasonal depression because anecdotally, as a, as a woman and with all my female friends, almost everyone I know says they have mm-hmm. it. They that when the, when it's gray outside and the, and the cold winter, their mood is affected. Right. So I wanted to talk about that, and and that is something I learned a lot. And I think that people that read that chapter will learn a lot about it, that how important light is Mm -hmm. for our spirit and for our circadian rhythm and our our biological processes and our sleep and our mood. So light is something that I, I I think I write a lot about it, but I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by how it does affect mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing kind of these two different sides from you. You've got this this side where you know the, those feelings of being out in the snow and, and these feelings of of nature being magical, but then I'm also hearing this other side where you've had to interview people who have felt the negative effects of climate change too. So maybe yeah. you've also felt maybe maybe the stress or maybe yeah. sadness there. Yes, that that's exactly right. There have been times even when I've interviewed people. And, and the losses they suffered. But there's also something that's as, as a meteorologist when you're for me, I, a lot of oftentimes during storms, I was in the studio forecasting it, for example. So I might be looking at the radar or, or satellite picture, having this you know feeling of, of knowing what's coming and seeing it maybe before even the, the viewer understands it fully. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's a horrifying feeling mm-hmm. of, of knowing how many people are going to be impacted by this. But I think what I was saying earlier in terms of an awe and an appreciation for nature, mm-hmm. it, it is related to that because if you if you know when you know the destruction that can happen in a storm, I think that's why you have to appreciate the calm and beauty of when we don't have that or or things that survive the storm. For example, a beach, the beach might be smaller due to erosion, but if you still have the beach to appreciate that, you know, that is something to be grateful for. Yeah, definitely. So I wonder now, based on these feelings that you have talked about, these the, the feelings of magic of the snow, but also the the sadness of of seeing the negative effects of climate change. This is totally optional, but I wonder if there's something you can think of that you could do to act on that feeling. Now we have a few different rules. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing. It's not about doing the most important thing. We're not asking you to solve climate change overnight. 
<laughs> it's not about the size of it. It's just about doing something that's meaningful to you. So the point is mm -hmm. to act on something that you care about. So it has to be a new behavior, something that you're not already okay. doing, and then measurable and something that you do yourself. That is, you know, with your own hands, you're not just telling other people what to do. Hmm. I, I have to think about this because I, do you have any suggestions of like of what other people are doing? Because I, I would hate to say something that, that I, because everything I'm doing, I think oh, I'm already doing it. And, and you said it has to be something different. So maybe there's something I haven't thought yeah. of. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of different guests who uh, talk about a lot of different things. So in, in your case, uh, let's see, you were talking about the magic of being in the environment. Uh, let's see. Well, I think I'm especially yeah. grateful for it living in the city. Uh -huh. So anytime you have green space, uh, you're, you really appreciate it. Um, that's, that's, and I write about that in the book, like having any green space is, is, is vital to our, to our mental and physical health. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if there's something that you could do there, something to mm -hmm. improve a green space. Actually, yeah, maybe there is. That could be something. Yeah, definitely. I just, I, you know, I, I, I just, I, I, I think that that would be like a perfect thing for me to do. And the only reason I haven't done anything like that recently is because of COVID restrictions. Uh -huh. But I think that let's all hope that that's going to that situation will improve and when I will get have back to normal. But I think that one of the things I'd like to do in the, in 2022 is participate in some sort of environmental cleanup and whether it's cleaning up a beach or a park. I have done that before when I lived in Atlanta, but I haven't done it recently. And it's it is a gratifying feeling um, to to do that. And and you kind of reawakened that memory for me. And, and it's something that I can do. Oh, great. Yeah. That sounds like a fantastic one. Actually, yeah. there was one thing that I wanted to bring up really quickly. Have you ever heard of the term guerrilla gardening? No, I haven't. This is something that I found out about recently on Instagram, but there are people who, who do what they call guerrilla gardening, which is, is, um, unauthorized creation of green spaces. So they go out and find like, you know, medians in the road that are just dirt and they'll like, go there overnight and like plant a bunch of flowers and trees there that, overnight. That is really cool, especially for the drivers that say, wait a minute, yesterday this wasn't here. And yeah, the, the, there's definitely some of that. There's a history of, I live in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan. Uh -huh. um, and there's um, a, a neighborhood that uh, will garden um, it, that has that, that particular history where neighbors got together. It was filled with trash and debris and they saw, I just was reading about this, and they saw tomatoes or, or some kind of plant that was popping through, and they got together, and it's a beautiful garden now. It's it's um, it's West 48th Street. It's, it's just something you might walk by and not notice, but it's it's a treasure for the neighbors because, I, and probably maybe 30 years ago, they, that's when it became um, a beautiful garden that the neighborhood uh, takes care of, but, but it came from that. Yeah. Yeah, I actually saw a person um, that was in San Francisco, and he just keeps a salt shaker full of different kinds of native flower seeds that as he just walks mm -hmm. down the street, he'll just like sprinkle it over every grassy area. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really see, And he sees the flowers then grow. Yeah, yeah. That, that, is, that must be rewarding. I thought it was really but cool. But I, I, I like the idea of doing some cleanup because it was on my mind. And uh, I know how good it feels to do it. Yeah, definitely. I apologize for taking us off on that tangent. Let's oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm glad you like made me think because I, I had to think about that for a second. And, and what is something that I haven't been doing that I could do and I want to do? So 
I think this is such a great idea. Fantastic. All right. So we usually try to make it a smart goal. I don't know if you've ever heard of a smart goal before, but specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time bound. So how much are you going to do for how long? By when are you going to do it? What's some way that we could make this a smart goal? Well, I would just say as soon as the we're doing things in person, I don't see why they, and I, I was reading today that we're now peaking with, with, with COVID. So it should be by the spring, I would think that things will be, hopefully we can, you know, work through mass, that's fine, but it's like, you know, that we might be able to do in-person activities. So I would say um, at, at some point this year that I am going to participate in a cleanup and I'm also going to document it. You just gave me another idea. Nice. <laughs> so I'll, 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 I'll put it on my website, which is weatherandwellness.com. And I'll mention this time on this podcast. And yeah, and I think that that would be a good thing to do because I think it would probably, and I'll also write about my my experience, and I think that that might get more people to do it yeah. uh, or to to want to be part of it. Because one of the biggest problems, I think, when I do research about mental health or just, you know, you talk to people mm-hmm. is that it, a lot of it stems from people feeling hopeless, that they don't, that nothing matters. Small little gestures like helping in a cleanup. It, it does matter and it makes you feel better and it's better and it's good for the environment. So it's, it's those little things that we don't think about that, that can make a difference. I I'd be, I'd be thrilled to do it. And like I said, I'm, I'm so happy that you have this idea on this podcast to do that with your guests. It sounds great to me. Um, so what I'm hearing is it's going to be at least one cleanup that you're going to participate yeah, at in. Least and one. I would it. say as soon and document it. And I would say I, at some, by, I'd say by the, by the summer. So Depends on when things open up again, sure. but yes, I, I think that that's a good thing. I've always wanted to do a beach cleanup. Like I said, I love being in, near the ocean, so I could see doing something like that. I, I write about that in the book, and uh, one of the girls who suffered from eco-anxiety is from Hawaii, actually. Oh, yeah. And um, is it Kauaku Beach? I don't want to pronounce that wrong. Huh. I'm probably saying it wrong. I have the worst pronunciation. <laughs> um, a- but it was a beach. A wa- no, wa- it was a W beach. Huh. There's wa- a lot of those. Okay. Well, it was a beach where unfortunately there was a lot of pollution oh. and she was cleaning it. Wakuku maybe? Mm, mm, mm. Anyway, she, she was, she's from Hawaii and she wrote about that experience. So I think that that also got me thinking about it. But I'd love to hear how it goes. How long do you think it would be before you feel like you've had kind of a meaningful experience you could talk about? Would you be willing to come back and talk about your experience? Oh yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Let's talk again, maybe in the summer, Okay, because I think that I think that it has been a while. And I think it's because of this COVID situation with, with me being kind of cooped up. I mean, I hadn't seen my family. They live in Florida and it, I only just saw them in September after almost two years. So, so it, you know, obviously we're all kind of dealing with the, the disruption of that, but I, I think that that would, that would be great because that, that is something I've been wanting to do. And the, the way I've been, at least what I try to do is to, to help people with this book is showing people that really don't know much about uh, sustainability, just small things that they may not think of that you, that, that I was mentioning in, in that fitness chapter and in the food chapter. Like food, I was mentioning food waste. That, that's something also I'm much more aware of now of checking what I have before I buy something, you know, and, and, and use following the, the um, different, the dates. I, I think that some, I know this might sound obvious, but if you see a date, you know, use by sell by, it's not necessarily the same things like that. Yeah, definitely. Very nice. Well, I'm excited to hear about the follow-up and hear how it went. I know, me too. <laughs> I thank you so much for the incentive um, to do, to do something more. And I think it's really, it's really special. And, and, and that's the, that's the, the, the last thing I just want to say is, as a meteorologist, I've, I've forecasted 
terrible disasters. And as a reporter, I've interviewed people that are affected by them. And through this book, now I've I've interviewed medical experts and and scientists to provide readers with the information on how how they can uh, deal with it, all of this, the, the the climate effects in a better way um, and in a more not informed way. Fantastic. Where can listeners go if they want to learn more about you or your book or find you on social media? So, um, well, I have social media pages under my name, Bonnie Schneider. Uh, there's, I think there's several Bonnie Schneiders, but you should be able to find mm-hmm. me. And then my website is weather and wellness. Since you're writing out the word and weatherandwellness.com. And that has everything links to my book, um, ways to contact me and uh, social media channels and, and weather and wellness. There's also pages on um, uh, social media under that name as well. So you could find me either of those. I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy to find. Is there anything you want to say to the listeners that I forgot to bring up? Yes. As a um, pre-order gift, I designed a gratitude journal. I've mentioned gratitude journals a lot in the book and uh, the science behind them, but I wanted to create a different kind of gratitude journal that would incorporate meteorology. Fantastic. The book is Taking the Heat, How Climate Change is Affecting Your Mind, Body, and Spirit, and What You Can Do About It. Bonnie Schneider, thank you so much for coming on. Climate change is no longer that thing that's just melting the ice caps and killing polar bears. It's affecting us right now, every day. The climate is linked directly to our body and mental health. It's up to us to do what we can to try to mitigate climate change, both on a global scale and in our everyday lives. Take some time out of your day to meditate, examine your own values, and take some action of your own so you can feel empowered. After the recording, Bonnie thanked me for giving her a reason to do something good. And that felt great, but not as great as she's going to feel when she makes the world better with her own two hands. I think that if you take action, it'll start a cycle of action. Feeling good about that action, then wanting to do more, which will make you feel even better. I hope that you'll join us in starting that cycle in your own life. Thanks for listening, everyone. This sustainable life, Solve for Nature, is managed, produced, and hosted by me, Eugene Bible from Verdant Growth, and edited by Christine Arabal from Wander Creatives. Thanks again to everyone for supporting the show, and until next time, stay sustainable. Hey guys, Eugene here from Verdant Growth and host of This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. I've been doing this podcast for a few months now, and I could use some help. I just don't have the time to edit episodes like I did during the pandemic, and I've had to hire an editor. I don't have enough to pay them for as many episodes as I'd like to do per month. If you're interested in supporting me and my podcast, try donating, one time or monthly. Even one dollar helps. I love doing this show, but I can't do it as much as I'd like without your help. If you can't donate, just hit that subscribe button or tell your friends. Me and the rest of the world could use your help. Let's work together to make this planet we call home a great place through sustainability. Thank you.